Who here has ever climbed a mountain? Anyone hiked up a mountain? Anyone seen a mountain? I know we live in the flat plains, but anyone seen a mountain? I always feel like I have to apologize to my Colorado friends when I say, hey, I'm going to go up to, you know, Mount Cato or go over to Welch Village, and I'm going to go skiing. Like, you're not going skiing. I'm like, I know. It's what we call skiing. It's not a 15, 20-minute, half-hour run down the hill. It's like a minute, maybe. But anyways, this idea of mountain and this idea of, of mountain climbing... When I was in scouting, we went down to Philmon, and one of the hills that, one of the mountains that we climbed was uh, Phillips, Mount Phillips. And um, Mount Phillips is around 10,000 feet, uh, and you start the climb at about mm, 7,000. And so it's a 3,000 feet foot climb from the base to the top. And as you're going up, you have switchbacks. And so switchbacks are basically points in the mountain that you, instead of the trail going straight up the mountain, you go back and forth so that the grade isn't going to kill you. Well, most of the mountainside is switchbacks. Some of it is really old trails where they didn't do switchbacks, they just did bulldozing straight up the hill. And so you're hiking at an angle with full gear going up a pretty steep slant. And as you go up those types of slants, um, there's a thing called caterpillaring. And so the first person in the line, he pulls off the trail and he rests. And the second person goes only two, three, four feet in front of him, he pulls off and he rests. And then the third person goes up three or four feet past him and he rests. And then by the end of the line, we're talking about 12, 14 people, by the end of the line, the first person to pull off has had a break without actually stopping anyone. And then he goes in line, and you caterpillar all the way up the hill. And so you get up that steep incline relatively easy because you're braking and you're not doing super long stretches at a time. And eventually, of course, you get to the top, and you have this moment of, wow, we just did all that. After you guzzle a whole bunch of water, you're like, okay, we just did that. Let's go take a seat. Let's go take a seat and see what, see what we can see. And you can see the mountain ranges in the distance. You can see kind of the mountain you're on. You can see the valley you just came up. You can see other people coming and peaking and coming to the top. But also we stay right on top of Mount Phillips. And when you stay on top of a mountain, there is no water. So we had to carry up all the extra water, not only to hike up it, but to stay the night and to come back down it the next day. And so the next day, we're, we're enjoying the scenery, we're enjoying the sunrise, and it's time to break camp. And as we're breaking camp, we get all of our gear and we start heading down the mountain. And we have one last scenic, like everything's cleared out for whatever the reason the trees were gone from this area. So you could really see, and actually off in the distance, you could see some ski slopes that in the summertime. And crews came by, and they just kept going down the hill. And so after we had our 20 minutes there, we put our packs back on, and we started down the hill. And the grade went from this to this to that to this. And pretty soon, we were covered by pine trees. Pine trees are not supposed to be in the trail. We realized that we had gone down a water runoff. It looked like a trail, so we started taking it, 
but it wasn't a trail. So essentially, we got lost on the side of the mountain. Because we thought, as I think all of us do, it's easy to get down from the mountain. It's easy. I don't need to think about it. All I have to do is get down. But there is a way and there is a path to that. I use this as the analogy of Lent for us. Lent, Ash Wednesday, we started with fasting, prayer, and almsgiving and increasing them. And then life can happen. And whatever we gave up, well, maybe we're not so inclined to give it up anymore. Or more importantly, even if we gave it up, we forgot why we gave it up. Who we gave it up for. What we wanted to grow in during this time of Lent. What my prayer increase was going to be and why I was going about doing it in the first place. Whatever I was fasting from, why am I fasting? Whatever almsgiving I'm giving, whatever I'm giving of myself away, why was I doing that? And we can get this sense of, I'm lost. Not in a radical way, but in a way that says, what, what's Lent about again? Why are we doing these 40 days? And so we get back on track. We get back on track. Something we did, we just triangulated our position on the side of the mountain, which is relatively easy to do. You look at a map, and you find different peaks that you can identify off the map, and then you use a compass, and you kind of make a triangle of where you think you're at, and then from there, you just head over and you hit the hill, and you, you make it down the rest of the way. What do we have today to refocus us on this Lenten journey? Well, the Lenten journey ends with the biggest feast ever. The biggest thing we could ever celebrate in the church happens at the end of these 40 days. Holy Thursday, institution of the Eucharist, Good Friday, Jesus' suffering and death, passion and death on the cross, and the Easter Vigil, the celebration of the resurrection itself. That's what's that's why we have this preparatory season. That's the end goal, is to receive the Eucharist, to, to enjoy, in some sense, Good Friday, what Jesus did for humanity, for myself, and then to celebrate the resurrection. And we kind of summed up today in the gospel. The gospel is this mountaintop experience. And so during this Lenten season, Jesus wants to show, hey, by the way, you're not doing this alone. There is an end. There is a point. It's the resurrection. But even more so, right before this in the gospel, Jesus predicts his first passion prediction, essentially. It happens right before this. And so Jesus presents to the apostles, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer death. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. That happens right before they go up. And they go up the mountain, and they see a glimpse, a glimpse of the resurrection. A glimpse of what's possible after his death. And so they have this, 
moment of saying, okay, I've seen your divinity now. And Jesus knows you're not going to see my divinity by the time they're done with me. I'm going to be bloody. I'm going to be torn up. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be left for dead on a cross. So here's a glimmer of my glory. Here's a glimmer of what the resurrection is. It's so interesting. On their way back down, Jesus, don't tell anyone until after the resurrection has happened. Because Jesus needs us to stay, in some sense, in this waiting, in this unknownness. Why? So that our desire for Him can only increase. Our desire for the resurrection can only increase. We have Moses and we have Elijah. Moses, who is Moses to the Old Testament? Well, who's Moses to us? He's the one who gave the law. God gave the law through the Ten Commandments. And so Moses is showing up, having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the law. Jesus is the fullness of what the law was for the Jews, for the Israelites. And then we have Elijah, and Elijah is the fullness of the prophets. No prophet is greater than Elijah, other than John the Baptist, who is the new Elijah. And the fact that Jesus is having a conversation with Elijah is saying Jesus is the fullness of what the prophets foretold. And here he is, present. And here he is, present. So we have both Moses and Elijah showing up and having this conversation. And Peter gets excited. I don't know how Peter was going to make three tenths. It's kind of funny. I will make three tenths. Really? You brought stuff to make three tenths? That's cool. But I'll make three tenths. We'll do it if you want me to, Jesus. Jesus says, we can't stay here. And the Father comes in, pipes in through this cloud, and they are terrified. What is this voice? Who is this voice? They're terrified. They get on the ground. Absolutely petrified. But the voice says something very simple. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Which is a re-uttering again of that baptismal call that he has. Listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that's the journey from there to the cross for the disciples. They go back down the mountain with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and they listen to him. Where wherever we're at, is to listen to Him.
is to be with him during this Lenten journey. Last week we had the temptation, Jesus' temptation, and Jesus shows us how to overcome temptation. And the simple fact is, listening to God gets us through temptation. Whenever I listen to my voice, the voice of the world, the evil one, I'm being tempted. And Jesus' only focus is back at the Father every single time the temptation comes. Every single time the evil one tries to tempt him. Nope, I'm loved. Nope, I'm loved. You're a liar. You're always going to be the evil one. The evil one always lies. Can't not. Other than tell the truth that he's trying to murder all of us and keep us away from God. Jesus undoes that in his own temptation. Jesus transfigures today for us to say, okay, what is it to be transfigured? What in my life, what in these 40 days can be transfigured? If I place my trust and my faith and my hope in Jesus, what could he do with me? Make us saints. Make us know that we're loved. Make us know that we're for love. To give love. Last week we had the creation story. Creation story. Out of all other origin story, the biblical God created not out of violence, not out of lust, not out of anger. He simply spoke. In peace and stillness, he spoke. And light came to be. He spoke. And humans came to be. He spoke, creation came to be. It wasn't out of chaos. It wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of lust of the gods. It wasn't out of envy. It was just simple. Utterly simple. Utterly still. This transfiguration gives us a glimpse of what that reality can be. To stay in that. To be in that. To not so much get focused on what I'm giving up, but why am I giving it up? What is the end goal here? What's the end game? It's to celebrate everything Jesus did for us for those three days, every single liturgical year, for those three days. The Eucharist, His passion, His death, and his resurrection. Let's just ask for the grace this Sunday to be transfigured. The reason why the gifts are in the back, and I'll end with this, the reason why the gifts are in the back and why they're brought up to the priest is because they're you. The hosts are you. Your life, your prayer, your your virtue, all of you. And it's presented by the laity to the priest in order for the priest to be able to transform that through the Holy Spirit and give you Jesus back. 
and give you Jesus back into your life, into wherever you're at. Bring forward the simplicity that is our life and we get back Jesus. That transforms us. As for that faith, that confidence, that hope, that love that does transform us.